A week is a very long time in the coach whispering business. You're a rooster one day, you're a feather duster the next. Must be tough in the Queensland camp this morning as we bring you You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all with Warren Smith and Matt Russell. Lara Pitt, is it's her turn to be on assignment this week. We've seen to be a, a rotation in the podcast world between the three of us. But, uh, Matty, great to see you. And, yeah, um, Ch- Bradley Charles Stubbs. I wonder how the conversation's going with... It. So, if you're a coach whisperer and you have all the success in game one and you're you know, the banner's flying and everyone thinks you're the best things in sliced bread and your rate has gone from $5,500 an hour to $10,000 an hour. After you have an origin loss, does your rate come down and is there a, a powwow this morning between Bradley Charles Stubbs and Kevin J. Walters uh, talking about what happened last night and how they build for Game 3? What, what happens in the coach whispering world? Intriguing questions was, I don't know what happens, but surely the price is headed south. New South Wales aren't worrying about coaching whispers because they have uh, Jimmy wins, they have Freddie's fantastic selections, and they have the Blues' bombastic attacking display. I watched last night with my laptop parked on my lap, that's why it's called a laptop, mm-hmm. and my 16-year-old giving it to me for being a, a footy nerd, but I like to watch the numbers as the game unfolds. And the numbers that stood out to me at full time were some of the most simple ones, just run metres. New South Wales, let's call it 1,700 run metres for the game compared to the Maroons, 950, let's call it. So basically for every one metre, roughly, that Queensland went forward, the Blues were going forward too. And at the end of the day, that's why we had a 38-6 scoreline. You look at the try assists, a couple to James to Desco, a couple to... Jimmy Maloney and a couple as well to Wade Graham. There are three fantastic attacking weapons right there. And while I had my laptop numbers ticking over was, tell everyone what you like to do (laughs) during Origin because we are a couple of footy nerds only. I'm in the digital age. You're back with the forest-destroying paper. Yes, uh, I've taken down the Amazon forest uh, with my collection of A4 exercise books over the years. This one, 128 pages, <laughs> 8mm faint ruled, uh, heavy white paper, pro-text cover, activity page, there's a red margin, and there's a four-year calendar as well in the very front or the very back. No, in the very front. And your, your, so there you go. your folder um, goes back years, right? So I can take you back through... Yeah, Origin series are, uh, I guess, unique in some ways because we don't get to be involved because we don't have the rights to show it uh, live on Fox Sports. So we just sit back for the most part. I've been to tons of Origins over the years, whether they be in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane. Um, but in recent time, the last couple of years, I've just taken a little bit of a breather from doing you know, emceeing roles or various functions and sat back with the family on a Wednesday night and at Origin time and just taken my notes and I can't help myself. I can't sit there and just watch the game, a bit like you. So um, the last couple of seasons, I've basically put a a line down the middle of my A428 page, exercise book page, and have Queensland on one side, New South Wales on the other side, and I just log the sets of six. What happened basically at the end of the set of the six, and where, say, you know, in game one of last year, I can tell you that uh, Nathan Cleary kicked the ball to Valentine Holmes and Queensland played it on the Queensland 30 in play one <laughs> at the end of the first set of game one of the 2018 Origin Series. Now, I've mixed things up a little bit this year. Instead, I thought, oh, I'm just going to need to change things up. I need to, there's been so much talk about the halves for both teams, so I thought I'll log every touch of the ball in general play for the two halves combinations. So, you know, I did that for game one and and I wrote far more touches of the ball for the Queenslanders in game one than I did in game two. And and it's amazing what you see in a game when you're focused on, you know, just the key players and and there are more than just the two halves as the key players for both teams, obviously. But um, it's a pretty good way of actually taking a look at what's happening in the game, who's in control. And last night, James Maloney had three or four columns of touches himself and little notes that I made as the game went on, he had the game of games. He was the saviour. The prodigal son returns to save New South Wales bacon when all seemed lost, when everybody was saying that Freddie Fittler had lost the plot and what were they doing, dropping Latrell Mitchell and can Jack White and Tom Travojevic play in the centres and all these changes and we're still a forward short. I thought we were a forward short, a big man short going into game two as well. But if you get on top the way the forwards did, 
then James Maloney is in his element, as any good playmaker should be, and he controlled the game. Oh, he's like a conductor, wasn't he? Seriously, he could have played in a dinner suit for, apart from defence, but he could have been in a dinner suit for much of that game. I love watching Jimmy Maloney. He's not a big man, but he's a street fighter. He is a scrapper, and as he says, he's a winner, and he was last night. It's not missed on me that he has been to an NRL Grand Final with every club he's been at up to Penrith, where he's at the moment. There is still time for Jimmy at Penrith. He's won Origin Series before. If he can he's pull that now, off this year, he's, yeah. just, just interrupting. Yeah. I mean, that that will be if that will make Jimmy wins will be plastered across the Harbour Bridge if he can get Penrith to the Grand Final this year, given the way they started the season. Well, what price will Penrith pay out of Origin? Because Nathan Cleary is going to be missing for up to five weeks. But you could argue that it has helped the likes of Jimmy Maloney return to his confidence best and bring that back to Penrith. Who knows how the back end of the season is going to go. But I love watching the competitor who is Jimmy Maloney. And last night, New South Wales had a number of new faces. I thought they made two changes too many for Origin 2. I still thought the Blues would win. But anyone who criticised the selection made by Brad Fittler and the Blues' chances heading into uh, Game 2 now has egg on their faces, was. Yeah, there's no question about that because, um, you know, past performance is no indicator for future results, as your financial advisor will tell you. Anytime you sit down for a bit of an annual review and you take a look at your superannuation and you sign those documents, whatever else, and the little asterisk at the bottom of the page and the font that's about size 2 or whatever it is, um, you need to be an optometrist to read it, but it always somewhere says... Past performance is no indicator of future results or past results, whatever which way you want to phrase it. But yeah, um, it, it it's amazing how things can turn around quickly. And you know, to have less than a thousand running meters for the game, as you mentioned mm. off the top for Queensland, that's that's an incredibly low number. Forty-two percent of the ball. Uh, and less than a thousand run meters. So I, I did some more maths last night. Was and maths wasn't my strong suit. But basically, uh, New South Wales fifty-seven percent of the ball, but about sixty-five percent of the total run meters for the game. So um, that can be explained by the fact that doing so much tackling, there wasn't much energy left in the legs of Queensland. But yeah, fifty-eight percent of the ball, nearly sixty-five percent of the run meters for the Blues. That's commanding dominance, and it was reflected on the scoreboard. And, and there'll be a discussion. Who knows when we have it about what changes you make to both teams for Game 3. There'll be one forced on the Blues. It'll be no Nathan Cleary for Game 3. But do you just stick with Wade Graham or Jack Whiten in that group and work out who's going to play that 5-8th role and leave that position open for a David Clemmer returning from injury? Surely selections for Game 3 aren't really difficult for Fittler, Badiris and Alexander, if, in fact, uh, Clemmer is fit, he just comes back in and you roll with the attacking weapons you already have, right? Yeah, I would think if David Clemmer is fit, he comes back in because it was his place to begin with and he only lost it through injury. So I would imagine he would step back in for Daniel Saifidi, his Newcastle Knights teammate. Um, And I was wrapped that Dale Finucane got a chance to play Origin footy and I I would have had him there two or three or at least two seasons ago. I've, you know, massive rap on Dale Finucane. has always, to my mind, looked like an origin player. And uh, given what we saw in game one, I haven't changed my mind. He, he will be there, I would have thought, no question, in game three back here in Sydney in two and a half weeks' time. And I guess the only other change you make is, uh, well, Nathan Cleary, no no doubt. But um, also, now we've got two... Well, they've got two games. No, they've got one game to get through, don't they? Because this here we are going into round 15 this weekend. And then round 16 is a split round. And then we play Origin on the Wednesday night. So, um, yeah, there's only one game. So both coaches have given the injury toll in club land and also Origin footy so far this season. They'll have their fingers and everything crossed that all of their players can get through and there's no more injuries in this weekend's NRL games that will affect the, the lineup for Game 3. Because it'd be nice to see both teams and you're close to being at full strength. Queensland won't be because Jai Arrow won't be back for Game 3 and he certainly would be there, obviously, given the way he played in Game 1 for Queensland and what he's done last season as well. Joe Offen-Gowie, I would think, would be available for Game yeah. 3. I, I he's imagine a he, His infection and the, the that nasty gash to the knee he had um, will be right for Game 3. So I, I would have thought, given that he was there on the bench for Queensland in Game 1, he would come back into the 17. Um, so there'll be, there will be changes for both teams. Um, but, 
You know, when you see New South Wales do the sort of job they did and get the, the head start they did through the forwards and lay a platform for James Maloney in particular, and take you, like, just, I'll take you through the, the notes I made. Nathan Cleary um, was very much playing the second fiddle. He had three long kicks uh, before he got injured, and he got injured uh, when he combined or just around the time they combined for the Tyson Frizzell try to make it 12 points to six. It was six all. They combined uh, Cleary at first receiver, Maloney at second receiver. They they put Frizzell in for the try to take the lead 12-6. That was in the 18th minute. For the next 22 minutes, Nathan Cleary touched the ball once in general play, and that was on a loose ball where he picked it up and I think got tackled. From the 18th to the 40th minute, he touched the ball once on a loose ball. So he he was he was really hobbling. And if you saw him, and he was just in the background, like behind the, the line as the line, if they were in a yardage set, he was just behind the line hobbling forward and never really got much of a mention because he didn't touch the ball. But you can see quite noticeably he was long odds to come back out for the second half. And as it turns out, he didn't. But it's remarkable to see uh, James Maloney play a solo hand. And as you're, I'm log, sitting there logging these touches, first receiver touch, second receiver um, pass for the Frizzell try. Then he kicks the 40-20 off the back of that. And, you know, once he kicked the 40-20, you think, oh, geez, they could just go on and do a job here. Well, they took a little while to score their next try, which Tom uh, Travojevic scored off that James Tedesco run in the 36th minute. But once it got to 18-6 and they came out, kicked a couple of penalty goals to begin the second half, uh, they were never going to lose, were they? So, And James Maloney, uh, as I say, for, for the most part, it was certainly more than half of that first half. It was a solo hand. He played with Nathan Cleary very much just, just out there watching what was happening in attack. And, and to his credit, I tell you what, he's a gutsy type, isn't he, Nathan Cleary? To stay on. He, he, plays, he plays above his weight defensively. Doesn't matter what happens as far as his attack is concerned, but his defence can never be questioned. A yeah. really determined defender. So young, and he'll be a long term number seven for New South Wales. I want to go back to Dale Finucane because I want to endorse your comments. We were saying here last week how happy we were that he was selected for New South Wales. I was tracking his game as I sat on the lounge, and he finished with 78 run metres for the game, modest in the eyes of some perhaps, but he only clocked 41 minutes. Uh, 16 tackles, just the one miss. And of those 78 metres, 72 of them came in his first stint where he actually led the Blues go forward uh, to the period in the first half where he came off. So he did exactly what Brad Fittler wanted him to do, and he did it with a plomb. So well done. And another bloke that impresses, Jake Trebojevic. Uh, 27 tackles, not one miss, and he led the forwards run metres with 135 having been moved. He's a middle forward, but he on paper he moves from the lock forward position into that starting front row position. And we say it week in, week out at club footy, Jake Trebojevic, his tackling is outstanding. Well, last night, 27 without a miss. He backed it up with plenty of run metres and... Uh, didn't they get some input, New South Wales, from the Trebojevic brothers? Jake laying the platform and Tom going for the turbo button. Yeah, Jake gets the x-rays at the hospital, as I like to say. An old coach when I was playing in the juniors at Granville Diggers told me once the forwards get the x-rays and the backs get the photos and the back page of the paper. There you go. And Jake gets the x-rays playing for Manly, New South Wales and or Australia. And Tom gets his photo on the back page of the paper, leaping for bombs and scoring ridiculous tries because he was Sensational, wasn't he? I mean, and you can only imagine uh, what might have happened in game one had he been available, having torn the hamstring a couple of times earlier in the season for the Sea Eagles. Um, you know, Tom Travojevic could play 12 years for New South Wales. Indeed. As simple could. as that. He could. And uh, looking at last night and putting it together with game one, where basically an intercept proved the difference. It was a fantastic second half comeback by Queensland. But if you put the two games together, was do we. Are we in agreement that New South Wales will be pronounced favourites for Game 3 at Sydney Olympic Park? They'll be a heavy favourite going into Game 3 at home. Um, and well, I, I don't I know. Mean, I think the betting was sort of $1.90 each of two, if you're that way inclined to have a punt on the footy. Um, going into, in, Despite what Queensland did in Game 1, uh, winning the, the game up there at home. But um, New, South, New South Wales... I guess through just weight of money with more people living in New South Wales who want to have a punt on the footy um, are always going to be sort of equal favourites or thereabouts. They'll be a heavy favourite. They'll probably be a dollar fifty or a dollar sixty or something going into into game three, I would have thought. And if they get the sort of platform they got uh, with the firepower they have in the back line and then coming off the bench with Tedesco and like Cameron Murray, 
when when the meters are like that, seventeen hundred to nine hundred, and they're winning tackles and you know getting tackled on their elbows and knees, bouncing up to play it quickly. Cameron Murray and James Tedesco through the middle of the field, and with James Maloney there also, and Tom Travojevic just he he you know there was blood in the water, and Tom was like <laughs> a shark just pushing through the middle looking for a chance as well, and that's exactly what you want from both he and Jack White, and because. You know, when they get on top like that, you, you you can try and go around them, but in those slippery conditions, the best way is to try and just get a quick play of the ball, have a fast man go again, another quick play of the ball, and then, boy, the the strike weapons hit, man. That's what they did. And, you know, Cameron Murray again, like Tom Travojevic, Cameron Murray, seriously, he could play 10 to 12 years for New South Wales in state of origin football. He's a fantastic small forward. So hard to... It's so hard to you know, get that that collision that stops him cold because his post contact meters are huge, and then to get him on his back is almost impossible. He invariably supplies a fast play the ball, and when you've got Tedesco and Damian Cook, we haven't even mentioned Damian Cook yet. No. It's scary. It honestly, it must be frightening for the Queensland middle third defence to have all that coming at you when you're losing the collisions, and they lost the collisions badly last night. Kevy Walters was agitated, wasn't he? I don't know if you saw the presser and, and did. all the stuff post-game. Kevy as agitated as I have ever seen. And he was he was in a buoyant mood before the game. He was very confident they would play well and he expected to win. Done, done, done. He didn't say those words. A bit of the old Ipswich came but, out in uh, in Kevy as he, as he littered his media yeah. conference with some words that he wouldn't always opt for. It, go, it went to show how much he struggled with the performance and then appraising that performance was. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens because, you know, the, it's a, isn't it – footy's great. I mean, it's a three-game series, so it's like a season just condensed into – here we are, three games, crash, bang, wallop. So much is made before each game and then off the back of the results. You know, the experts couldn't see how New South Wales could win in game two. I took Queensland to win last week right here on the podcast, but I didn't think, you know, by any great margin. It's origin, so I thought it would be pretty tight. But you could see a way that New South Wales could win, but, you know, given what you saw in Game 1, it wasn't a long boat to say, I think Queensland will win. But, boy, you know, right now, off the back of all the talk, and it's funny how I, mean, we've, I keep referring to, you know, the coach whispers and whatever else, but that was the that was the theme, wasn't it? The story, like the big storyline going into Game 1 was... From the moment they announced their team, Queensland, for Game 1, the way Kevy approached that press conference when he announced the team and everybody was like, Whew, what's going on with Kevy? He spent a weekend with Anthony Robbins, <laughs> switching on the 22 light bulbs or in, your, you know, in your mind and getting things all in place and your ducks in a row. and um, getting, you know, the, the, the coach talk was, wow, it just wasn't what we normally expect from Kevy. But then they come out and win. And you mm. go, well... Why wouldn't you go with all the coach talk and the, and the whispering and that sort of stuff? But when you, when you lose, and given what the chairman of the QRL said before game one, I've never heard of this bloke. I can't imagine Kevy would be um, spending $5,500 an hour to talk to this bloke. Well, you know, footy to me is run hard, tackle hard. That's the Queensland way, basically. And then, you know, they lose game two over there convincingly by 32 points. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, if they shouldn't win the series, having been one up. And, and I think was it there's sixteen of the last eighteen series. Whoever wins game one has gone on to win the series. It's a phenomenal stat over the whole series since it became a three-game series that the the game one winner normally goes on to win the series yeah, statistically. Massive, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, should should Queensland lose game three? There'll be some some soul searching and some pretty hard and fast conversations amongst the Queensland hierarchy, amongst the way it all played out and whether they just got you know you're either in you're only ever in two phases maybe in life, but in sport in particular and in rugby league, you're either um, trying to refresh things because you've got a bit stale and you need to reboot and charge things up, and you in, come in with new ideas and a whole bunch of different ways of doing things. But then after a while, if it doesn't work, you go into the second phase, which is we've gotten too far away from what we've always done well, and we're going to go back to basics. 
And so you're always in with just one of those two phases. Like I say, it might be in, in life as, as, as opposed to just rugby league or sport or television or whatever it is. But you're either in one of those two phases usually. And Queensland, off the back of the loss last year, I think in Kevy's mind, they're in... We need to refresh things and we need a new approach and we need to look at things. We've got a new, you know, we've lost Cameron Smith. There's no Billy Slater, no Jonathan Thurston, no Cooper Cronk, no Greg Inglis. They've all gone. We need a chance to reboot, refresh things. And maybe, you know, off the back of all losing all those stars over the past two or three seasons, at some stage, this reality was going to hit for Queensland, wasn't it? So we'll see, you know, game three could provide anything. And as I said before... Past results are no indicator of future performance, so things could turn around quickly and Queensland come out and win Game 3 comfortably. But should they not, given that they went away from, maybe in the chairman's mind and others in the Queensland hierarchy, if they went away from the tried-and-true you know, course that Queensland always steer, then I think they reckon there'll be a course correction very quickly. What that would mean for Kevy, I don't know. And surely... Surely, yes, it would be a second series loss in a row, but surely you wouldn't say, we need a new coach. Because I think Kevy Walters is the man, but here he is at the beginning of a new era, isn't he? And in reality. Who knows what will transpire at Clubland that might have an impact on whether Kevy Walters goes forward coaching Queensland. In your chat just then, was you mentioned the stars who have gone. Have they all gone? Can Cam Smith... <laughs> Will he be talked about as Cam a possible back for parachuting in for a deciding game three? Oh, oh. I, surely Ben Hunt has been very good in that role. Uh, his team was heavily beaten in Origin 2. I don't think Cam Smith's going to come back for game three, but I guarantee you that will be a storyline at some stage some between point. now and game three. And, you know, we've, um, we've got this weekend of round 15's games, the eight games in the NRL, then we have the split round in round 16. But given how big Game 3 now is, it almost feels like we should play Game 3 next Sunday. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, is that, a, is that a possibility in the past? And I, I know I've, we've spoken about this in the last whatever weeks about and Wayne Bennett and Craig Bellamy and others, as always, we get to this part of the year and everyone's got a new theory for Origin and how it should be played. But really, the talk... All the websites. So you go onto the NRL's own website before Game 1, you couldn't see a story about the NRL. There's a whole round of games being played uh, in the weeks before game one and then game two. Well, you haven't been, it's, I mean, that's their own website. Mm. It's full of origin talk. The papers are going to be full of origin talk. Here at Fox League, all the talk is going to be about origin three and everything that happens involving anybody involved in the series or potentially to be involved in the series in this weekend's round 15, and then it won't, there'll be nobody involved in Origin in round 16, but it's a split round, it will be like, okay, let's get this out of the way because we want to see what happens in Origin yeah. in Game 3. It's almost like, I feel sorry for the NRL, well, I feel sorry for the NRL because it's of their own making in some ways, um, but I feel sorry for us. There's two weekends of club footy before we get I feel to sorry this highly for us anticipated we're gonna, Origin you know, 3 decider. You're here right. Here we are. Our focus is I'm doing the Dragons and the Cowboys on Friday night. I've got the Warriors and the Panthers on Sunday. And in most people's eyes, nobody's going to give two hoots what happens this weekend or in round 16 in the split round when the games are being played without the, uh, the Origin Stars. And in round 16, the Dragons played the Storm. Huge game for the Dragons if they're not already out of contention. The Storm won't have their origin mm. players. They had the bye in the first time around in the split round in round 12. Um, you know, the Tigers play the Roosters. There's going to be players missing for the Roosters left, right and centre. Um, Latrell Mitchell will be available. Latrell won't be getting back in for game three unless there's an injury this weekend. Um, the Knights play the Warriors. The Sharks play the Broncos. So, you know, there's those all four of those games that will have been impacted uh, yeah. in the split round. It's... It's it's Origin City between now and uh, Wednesday, two weeks' time on July 10. It's between now and then. It's going to be all about the Blues, all about the Maroons. That's just the nature of the beast. And it adds, you know, it brings in a lot of money. You can't – it brings in a lot of TV rights money. It brings in a lot of money with the gate. And the gate now will be huge. Tickets will be at a premium. Um, if they were giving away tickets at a discount for Game 1 – 
Don't know if that was the case for Game 2 over there in Perth because it was... 59,000 in Perth. Fantastic. And I know a bunch of people from who are um, expat Kiwis who live in Perth who were there last night wearing blue jerseys and they absolutely loved it, quite obviously. Um, but they've been uh, Perth residents for a long time now. I mean, there's tons of people over there and brings it back to our point. Our good mate John Saxon, mm. the WARL, um, they, they need a team. They should have a team. They will have a team at some point uh, when the... Um, Current rights deal runs out, I guess, 2023. There'll be a Perth team in 2023 and there'll be a second Brisbane team in Yeah, there should be. And I wish that we'd done it so that we could have filled the gap from the Western Force without waiting for this window to expire in between because there is clearly an appetite for it over there. The Western Reds, I haven't looked into it deeply, but they were a long way from being a basket case. They were a victim of the, the climate at the moment. And when you go over there to call a club game and see four or 5,000 turning up for training sessions before they then fill the stadium on a, on a wet night for a club game, let alone Origin. You think to yourself, there's got to be an appetite over here and then you speak to the experts like John Saxon who will tell you, yes, that we're waiting. We need a team here. Let's hope it happens sooner than later. And further to your point was, Origin not only takes away from the club games, in some respects it it engulfs the rep round that we were lucky enough to be involved with. It started at North Sydney Oval uh, with the women and the Blues women getting the job done in the female state of origin. Then we went to New Zealand and Tonga disappointing when they were thumped by New Zealand. Then we came back to Leichhardt Oval for a women's game as well, a women's game there and into two games that you and I were involved with, Fiji against Lebanon and Samoa against PNG. You said it in your commentary. It was a game. It was a good game, a converted try, the difference, and uh, it was a contest for much of the, the duration. I loved I honestly loved uh, Samoa and Papua New Guinea because I'd been out to Samoan training earlier in the week out there at Ringrose Park at Wenty. Then I spent a couple of sessions with the Papua New Guineans on Thursday night at uh, Parramatta Marist out at Westmead and then on Friday morning at their captain's run at Leichhardt Oval, uh, which on Friday morning in the sunshine was glorious. It was cold and chilly and there was plenty of beanies and hoodies uh, being sported by the Papua New Guinea uh, support staff and some of the players on the field as well. James Seguiaro was rugged up uh, out there running things from dummy half in the, on the captain's run. But um, I can just tell they were, they were a really close-knit unit. They were up for the game, as they always are. And they had some tremendous performers. Nixon put played on the left edge in the back row. Oh, he, he, I mean, there's some big boys playing in the Samoan forward pack with Marty Tapao and Junior Paulo and James Gavitt, Josh Alloyer, who started the game. Nixon puts, he's like, let's bring it on. Let's go. I'm ready for you guys and stop me if you can when I've got the ball as well. I loved watching Nixon just carry the ball and whack in defence as well. He was he was fantastic. And yeah, 12 points to six at half time. And then it was a real arm wrestle for the first 20 of the second half. And if they could just have jagged a try somewhere, I thought they could win that. And, and it's an important game because they're playing in this pool in Pool B of the Oceanic Cup, which is now, uh, I think it's in place for the next 10 years or so, ratified by the Rugby League International Federation in recent uh, months. But the winner of that uh, group between um, Samoa, Fiji and Papua New Guinea advances into 2020 to join Australia, New Zealand and Tonga in Pool A. So there's plenty of riding on it. And you'd think the Samoans, quite obviously, are favourites to do that. And certainly now that they've gotten past um, Papua New Guinea. But I tell you, Fiji... You know that'll be a fascinating battle, won't it, between Samoa and Fiji? Um, so there's no nothing's given as far as who will join the big guns of the Oceanic uh, World of Rugby League and Pool A in this Oceanic Cup in 2020 because um, it's pretty even. I mean, this you know when they scored a couple of tries early on, I thought, oh yeah, like Samoa might be just you know overpower them here, and they've got a size advantage quite obviously and. The first few sets in in with the ball in in it well working it out from their own end for Papua New Guinea was like oh geez this is this is looking pretty ominous but they they found their feet and got themselves into the game and it was I loved it and it was you know pouring rain at different stages your game was a bit one sided in Fiji and Lebanon but there were some great performances from guys who are obviously now just fringe first graders yeah I loved like you going out to both. I was going to say clubs, but both countries during the week. I missed you at Leichhardt by a few hours as I watched Fiji go through their paces. And big news for Fiji because uh, in 2020, the Cavita 
silk tails, silk tails, not silver tails, the silk tails mm. will play in the Ron Massey Cup and that will be a great step forward for Fiji. I was lucky enough to run into Petro Sivanaseva. The Department of Foreign Affairs had a big contingent there that they're working with as well. But on the field, uh, Fiji awesome with names like Vunavalu, Ravalawa, Sivo, Kamikamitha, Sims, Kikau, Bakuya. You know, it was a... a demonstrably more experienced and uh, physical side than Lebanon. But uh, just a couple of stories was um, Peter Farah, Robbie's dad, was a, a constant presence at Lebanon training during the week, making sure the boys were well fed and well tended to. Great to see Pete looking after the Lebanese uh, team. And uh, Jax Sims, Jacqueline or Jackie, but she goes by Jax. Jax Sims dragged her husband Peter off the South Coast Dairy as they watched CJ Sims represent the Fiji women. So Jackson Peter now have four of their five kids having played for Jack's birth country, Fiji, in Ashton, Corbin, Tarek, and now CJ. We know that Ruan's represented New South Wales and Australia. So proud parents indeed. And as a sidelight to this, does Rep Round not get the love it deserves? Partly because of origin but partly because it is largely positive with unheard stories, emotion. It doesn't come with the NRL circus and the salacious controversy that mm. makes the media wheel grind. Is that why perhaps Rep Round doesn't get the love and appraisal and even is dismissed by some as being irrelevant because it doesn't tick the box that the week-in, week-out circus sometimes does? For me, I love it. I love delving into the stories. You know, there was a bloke playing for Lebanon called Tufik El Haj, who's a student at the American University of Beirut, Beirut studying mechanical engineering. He ran on late in the game and threw himself at the likes of Tui Kamikamitha, Corbin Sims, Billy Kickout, without any fear. Yep. And he's been playing rugby league for four years, loves it, and wants to take his mechanical engineering degree around the world, maybe to England, and play football professionally as he works as well. And being able to tell stories and meet blokes like that, I think Rep Round, I, I hope it has a long and, and you know, glorious existence. Yeah, and, you know, like you, there was a bunch of guys in the Queens, uh, sorry, the Papua New Guinean back line who suddenly are playing in the Queensland Cup, but not that long ago were just playing for Lay or Rabul in the in the Digicel Cup back in the Papua New Guinean domestic competition, and suddenly here they are playing... For their country, and as we, as the camera was panning along, you know the line as the anthems are playing before the game, you know there's tears streaming down faces. Bernard Lewis from the Roosters, who missed all of last season, um, looking to get a chance to crack it in first grade, but they're the Premier, so it's going to be hard. But there's Bernard, who was a late inclusion into the side, with standing there with tears running, streaming down his cheeks as the anthem was playing. So it means so much to everybody, and they did their nation proud, as I said. At some stage in the commentary, you know, Papua New Guinea is, you know, a country of a thousand tribes, literally a thousand different tribes, 800 and something, you know, bona fide different variants of languages. But the one thing they all have, the one thing they all love from the 1930s when, you know, Australian miners were going up there because there was gold and uh, various minerals and that being discovered up there, they took rugby league up there. The locals off the back of the Second World War when there were more Aussies in either, you know, through the war and then after the war, um, they, there's more rugby leaguers growing and then by the, you know, 50s and 60s, it had really taken a foothold and here we are in 2019. There's no question, it's the national game in Papua New Guinea, the only country in the world where rugby league is the true national game. You can't say that about it here in Australia, you can't say about it in England or France or New Zealand, but in Papua New Guinea... Rugby league, they eat, sleep and breathe it. And despite, you know, going down four tries to one, they'd have loved what they saw from the guys who represented them. And, you know, there's some, there'll be some names there like Xavier Coates, 18 mm. years of age. Like he's a Queenslander, but he has Papua New Guinean heritage and um, he will at some stage play for the Brisbane Broncos. He's a, I've watched him at training and he's standing there. And, we, and the great thing about going to training, we're very lucky. And when you're a footy nut like we are, you get to see the athletes, how good they are close up. You know, my goodness, even the big guys can really run. Mm. And invariably, the big guys start out as kids. They're all centres and wingers. Because if you, if you get to the NRL level and you can't run, like be a good athlete, you can't play. You can't yeah. be a – if you're a – you know, very few plodding 10-, 11-year-old kids out there who are playing in the front row as 10- and 11-year-old kids – they don't really translate into NRL players in the front row by the time they're whatever because they're just not quick enough. 
Mm. You, you get as the the talents. You know, it's like the pyramid. You know, by the time you get to the pointy end, it's the fast and the furious who get to the top. And watching these guys at training, this Xavier Coates, who he was, they were just kicking bombs to him at Parramatta Maris Field out there at Westmead on Thursday night. It's you know, it's cold, it's windy bit of sprinkle of rain and stuff. They're putting these bombs up after the session had finished for a bit of bomb catching practice. And I was watching this 18-year-old athlete. I'm going, wow, imagine being that good at that that age. He's a big kid. He's not he's not in NRL like Bronson Cherry is at the same age. But he became the youngest, you know, test footballer on Saturday night. It's a, yeah. it's a remarkable story. And we'll see Xavier Coates as a name. Mark him down if you didn't see the game on Saturday night. But we will see him uh, in the NRL, and I guarantee he'll play a long career. Was I had a young bloke too, Jacob Kiraz, who's bound for North Queensland out of Mm -hmm. the Dragons SG ball. He's 17 years of age, entered Test footy. And I like what you said about going along to the country's training sessions Opposed to club footy, where quite often you're treated like a KGB spy, they throw open their arms, they welcome you, they gift you with information. You're almost adopted as, in my case last weekend, a a guest Lebanese or Fijian person for a day. And back to PNG, I've got a very good mate who run security. Security, you told us. In PNG, on his tax return, he's an aid worker, but that's a whole different story. He's an oh, aid worker stop. who I They'll be searching for this He's head of, head of security. And and he doesn't know much about footy. It's not his, his thing, but I often get a text, are the Kummels playing today or tonight or right now? Uh, I said, funnily enough, they are. Because he can tell because uh, his security his security uh, role uh, goes up in importance, not numerous gears actually, and he's got some great stories to tell about that. But they love their footy, and um, one of the moments that was probably lost on Saturday at Leichhardt, should have seen more airtime, was late in the game. Fiji score, Jason Pakuya gets the last try of the game from right in front. The ball is sitting on the kicking tee as time expires and the team starts shaking hands. The goal is still to be kicked. Who should knock it over with his left foot? Robbie Farah, the (laughs) Lebanon captain. He just nudged it over with a big smile on his face and Matt Checkin handled it beautifully. He said, Robbie, that doesn't count. You can't do that. Someone from Fiji needs to kick the goal. And they handed it to Junior Rongitha, who has been around... Um, NRL clubs for a long time playing predominantly lower grades. He saw a bit of NRL at Cronulla. He's now playing with the central Newcastle butcher boys. And when it comes to men singing the anthems and the hymns with tears rolling down their face, uh, Junior has done it year after year. I think he played about his 14th Fijian test and I was so happy to see him get the conversion attempt and knock it over from in front. So, Robbie, you can't steal the thunder of Junior Rongither. It was a great little moment, a comedic way to finish, but and it got lost, but it shouldn't have. And to kick things off on Rep Weekend, and why I think it's very important that weekend, and there should be maybe another one, but we'll see what happens as far as Origin is concerned and whether it gets reconfigured. But Wednesday night works from a TV point of view, and it was a real concession by the rights holder to say, yes, we'll have a Sunday night game as game two. Uh, that's that's one of the most that's one of the probably the biggest reason why the current you know status quo won't change because three Wednesdays works and it means a, mm. it's a rating smash up for the nine network against all the other free to air networks so that's why um, that Sunday game was a real concession by them and it was I think it was two point eight million people nationally watched the game last night from what I saw earlier this morning but um, it'll stay the way it is but. To kick things off at North Sydney Oval with the Women's State of Origin, and that will grow into a three-game series as well. I just want to mention Jessica Sergis, who is the girlfriend of Zach Lomax, or partner of Zach Lomax, who plays for the Dragons out injured at the moment for St. George Illawarra. But watching her off the wing, boy, she is a gamer. Mm. My goodness, she carries the ball and brings it back. You know, if you had a, a player like her in the NRL who can just do those yardage carries on play one, play two, and just bring it back out, she was sensational to watch the way she brings it back with so much energy. And uh, Simi Taufa in the front row for New South Wales as well. I know Maddie Sutton got plenty of raps as the halfback, and you know, again, the, you know, the halfbacks, the halves get their back photos on the back page of the paper, while Simi Taufa in the front row, um, she deserves her fr- paper photo on the back page of the paper because she, I don't know what her numbers were, but they were had to have been, hang on, I'll tell you, 16 carries for 150 metres for the uh, New South Wales Blues in the women's state of origin. Every time I looked up at the screen, there she was taking another carry. And she's not the tallest forward in the women's game, but my goodness, she has got a motor. 
She was the Roosters captain was in the inaugural NRLW, and she was fantastic. And I've seen Jess Sergis. The physicality of the women is absolutely fantastic. I've said over the last year, having been lucky enough to be involved with covering a few of their games, their game smarts, their skills, their physicality, it is amazing. I think an area where the, the female game will continue to develop is the kicking element of the game. But once they've got that down, Pat, it... it you know, there's nothing left to do. That has turned on a really good show, and it begs the question: Should the women's origin stay at North Sydney Oval, where for a couple of years now, years now, we've seen crowds of ten thousand or thereabouts, or do we take it to Queensland every now and then? I don't mind. I don't care where it's played, so long as you're going to get your eight to twelve thousand, and it's going to be in a suitably designed stadium, yeah. i.e. that it's nearly full. So yeah. you get the atmosphere that we saw at North City. That's right. You don't want it at Suncorp, which holds no. 50,000. Or Rabina, that's too big, yeah. You get ten to 15,000 there. You'd rather it be in a 15,000-seater. I don't know. Um, One of the Queensland Cup venues, for example, might be might be an option. But for the time being, if it's working but, at North Sydney Oval. Yeah, uh, the Gold Coast, um, you know, tourism board or whatever else, they might pitch up and say, we'll throw money at it to bring it to Seabus Super Stadium. Don't take it to Super Super Stadium. We, <laughs> we we went through that last week. It's it's the dead zone. It's an awful yeah. place to try and get to and get out of and whatever else. And um, that would be a real. And I I think the NRL are a bit smarter than taking the a women's state of origin to a location. Despite the offer of money, I think they really got a great brand going there. And it will become uh, a three game series at some stage in the next couple of years. Uh, it's hard to imagine why it wouldn't, but uh, fantastic. And I thought it was a great way to kick off Rep Weekend. Boy, it's been massive from Friday night through Saturday with the – we haven't even mentioned the Kiwis and Tonga. Benji Marshall, what a, you know, yeah. he, his state, the way he reacted after the game, played a phenomenal game. He and Sean Johnson, uh, that was a, a stunning result, really. Well, I was disappointed with Tonga. I thought that they would make more of a contest of it, not necessarily winning the game. I thought they could win the game, but to have uh, – the Kiwis win so commandingly, that surprised me. And have players like Jermaine Asako, um, Raymond Faitala Mariner, Marty Tapao, um, yeah. all represent Samoa as opposed to representing New Zealand. So, uh, And Michael Maguire came out in the either just before the game or after the game and sort of said, you know, we need maybe from his point of view as the New Zealand coach and uh, from the New Zealand board's point of view, that maybe they just have to go with hard and fast players who are eligible for New Zealand and New Zealand only, mm. who don't have, um, who aren't eligible for, for Samoa through their their, their parents or their the grandparents, yep. uh, or Tonga through their parents and their grandparents. They just go with people who could play for New Zealand and New Zealand only, uh, given their background. And um, I don't know if you went through the New Zealand team, what the case would have been for that game against Tonga. But yeah, it's sort of going that way anyway. As the as the Samoans and the Tongans get stronger, it's sort of it, everyone sort of filtering to where they want to play. And I think for and as long as the money is you know thereabouts an equivalent and it should be equivalent for the, all those games played over the weekend yeah we can have the chat about the women and of course the moment you talk about whatever the men are earning well the women should be earning the same thing and if that's the case then I've got no obviously no question with that if if you're going to say everybody's earning five thousand dollars to play for their country in rep round, then the New South Wales and Queensland women should be getting $5,000 to play for their state because they provided a television mm. spectacle themselves and drew a great crowd. 1.2 million, I think, it was the crowd nationally for the women's origin On game. TV. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. Combined. Combined between yep. us Fox and, and broadcasters nine. nine. Yeah. Right. So there you go. So, and that's a, that's a huge TV in 2019. Yeah, a million plus. Oh, you look absolutely. at the ratings. That's you know, it's not the old days where you you know two and a half, three million for the big shows. Up there, this podcast was. In terms of listeners. right. A million plus makes it a big television show. So, um, well played, everybody. Over the course of the weekend, we've got hey, before we move on from that game, I want to yep. ask you about a player that I've been keen to to get your appraisal of uh, Chanel Harris Tavita, the forgotten man at the Warriors. How did he go? No, went pretty well. Summer? Yeah, I thought yeah, um, overshadowed by Anthony Milford, who yeah. as we said during commentary, physical wasn't he? Should be wearing a, a Samoan jersey <laughs> yeah. underneath his Broncos jersey, um, or should be hypnotised by somebody up there in Brisbane each week. Convincing him he's playing for Samoa yeah. and not the Broncos when he plays uh, or this weekend. Uh, the Broncos have got the Knights at McDonald Jones Stadium, a massive game for both those teams. And if somebody can hypnotise Anthony Milford and convince him that he's playing for Samoa and not the Broncos this weekend, I reckon Anthony Seabold 
would be pretty happy if that was the case. Maybe Anthony pulls out the the fob pocket watch and uh, and um, and <laughs> yeah. and hypnotises Anthony because man, he was hitting like a front rower. He was a man possessed at times. It was remarkable. Uh, yeah, it was great to see. Um, he was so you tell him that playing for his country yeah. didn't mean much over the weekend. He was he was up for it, and I spoke to him out there at training, and he said, "I'm I'm fit and good to go, and I can't wait." He was really keen. So. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Well, let's look at this weekend's round. Was uh, Origin looming large in the distance? But can we focus on what is it? Round fifteen, starting Thursday night, Bankwest Stadium, Wests against South Sydney. Uh, I'm just going to go through these ones quickly, having given zero thought to any of and, these. And you know games. what's hard this week because we don't know. You all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, now when are the Burgess boys back from suspension? Who's going to come out of rep round with a niggle that's going to keep them out, etc., etc., etc. It is a nightmare trying to come up with your winners this weekend. Yeah, Tigers' last start winners against the Cowboys. That was, um, you know, one of their more impressive performances for some time because they'd been pretty ordinary before that, hadn't they? Especially against the Raiders at Bankwest Stadium back in round thirteen. Um, Do you reckon a couple of young international stars will be able to back up? Uh, tough one. I'll, I'll say the Rabbitohs. I know, I know there'll be players missing quite obviously for the Rabbitohs, but I'll say the Rabbitohs might just get the Tigers. Farrah and Marshall, the yeah. full internationals backing yeah. up. Uh, I, I don't know. South Sydney because of that ladder position. That's about it. But yep. then you get St. George Illawarra against the Cowboys and the Cowboys with uh, some queries because they have injuries, they have suspensions looming on prominent players. The Dragons in Wollongong, you'd imagine their rep stars would all be fit to back up, so the Dragons will win that. Yeah, that'll be another tough one, a real toss-of-the-coin job for mine. But remember, well. they were beaten by Manly was last start, St. George Illawarra, and badly so. Uh, they've had a long break to think about that. They've sent their players off to the respective representative teams. Yeah, they looked they looked okay before Cam McInnes got um, injured in that game over yeah. at Brookvale. Um, that was last, the difference a week ago. Um, yeah, that was a turning point in that game. Dragons at home. It's at it's at Wollongong. Um, I'll say the Dragons on home turf. Uh, Roosters and Storm. Also, the second game on Friday night. Uh, players backing up for both teams from Origin. Uh, cracking game and it's in Adelaide. While there won't be a, yes, it is in Adelaide. <laughs> and I've called a couple. Of, I've called actually the last two games in Adelaide between these two teams. Uh, won't be there this Friday night, but uh, I guarantee there'll be a good crowd. There'll be twenty thousand plus. I would have thought at Adelaide Oval to see these two go around. Uh, Roosters won that game short staffed. Remember they had all the injuries earlier in the season down there at Amy Park, and um, boy, yeah. I've, Melbourne are in great form at the moment. I'm going to say Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne, because what have they lost? Two games all season by a combined total of three points. Yes, one point to the Roosters. It was, was it 21 20? Two points to the Sharks. Yeah, it was uh, round six, and they won yeah. that one 21 20. Um, moving on to the Titans and the Seagulls. Three o'clock game, first game on Super Saturday. I'm headed up for this one, Was and having watched the Trebojevich brothers emerge unscathed last night, having watched and called Manly beats and George Illawarra last start, Des should be clocking two more premiership points in this one, despite the fact they are the away team. Daly Cherry Evans will be, um, yep. yeah, he'll be keen to get back into action, and uh, not that he was, you know, um, poor or anything last night, they just didn't, they didn't, fire up anywhere. In the middle of the field in particular, the Queenslanders just, it gave the halves really no chance. And, you know, there I am doing my little notes, taking the touches, like the touches between, the combinations between Munster and Ponga on that left-hand side, non-existent Mm. last night by comparison to game one. And just remark, when you actually start logging things down, you sort of go, wow, geez, they're not, you know, I went went ages. In the second half of the game last night, I went ages before I got to like three touches in the second half for both DCE and Cameron Munster because they you know they came out and gave away a penalty it's now 20 points to 6 um they couple, conceded six straight penalties they both kicked a couple of you know touches a dummy half for Cameron Munster a long kick uh Cherry Evans a couple of long kicks a pass on a shift from inside their own 20 at one stage because they were under pressure and trying to find a way out um so it, they just starved of the football and when you're on the back foot playing from inside your own half for most of the game, uh, forget the halves. They're not going to. You, you could have had anybody out there playing in the halves. It wasn't going to make a difference with Queensland last night, given they were beaten in the middle of the field. And that you know, it's a truism. You, forwards win 
big games and New, New South Wales forward pack certainly laid the platform for New South Wales to, to do what they did uh, through their strike power out wide. Um, Knights and Broncos, we mentioned it briefly. Knights? Yeah, Knights in Newcastle. Broncos and what if Mitchell lost, Pierce... lost to prove, haven't they, the Broncos? Absolutely. What if Mitchell Pierce has another huge game? The Blues need a seven given the absence of uh, Nathan Cleary. Do you really expect that Mitchell will be talked about it as returning or yeah, do they will just be. stick with what they've nah, got? he will be until the side is announced on Sunday night in seven days' time. Uh, the Mitchell Pierce for Nathan Cleary story will bubble along. Unless, if, if unless Mitchell fit, just comes out and says, do you know what? I'm, I, I'm not your man. Go go with somebody else. Yeah. I don't imagine he will do that. It's not in, not in a, in, a, in a sportsman's nature to do that. I, I know Jamie Lyon did do that. At the end of his career, but boy, few and far between where players say, you know, and especially given the footy he's been playing, Mitchell. Um, but and, and just it comes back to David Clement in a role. If he's right for Origin three, you can let Nathan Cleary go, bring back David Clement. Now I know that's not like for like, but you can juggle to cover in your existing players. Nathan and Wade then, Graham plays it at, at, exactly, and then just bring David Clemmer into the seventeen. But if Clemmer's not right, then you do actually need another player, and you need someone who can play in the halves. So you could go with Mitchell Pearce. It's just yeah, food for thought over the next you could, week. You could start with Wade Graham, then you got the backup there of Jack Whiten who could jump in. That's right. Move one closer on that left hand side. Should there be an injury, should Wade Graham get hurt or whatever else, or James Maloney get hurt, you could put Whiten in the heart. Then you have Whiten and Graham in the halves. That's a bit of a gamble. So we'll wait and see. Some decisions to be made Mm. for New South Wales. Which means Josh Morris could parachute back in. Yeah. uh, Into a centre position. No. 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 Don't see it. Don't see that. Okay. Uh, Eels Raiders. We're talking origin during a club discussion. Hey, you and I. (laughs) Funny that. You and I. Well, And see, this is what's going to happen this weekend. Everything that happens that involves either a player involved in origin or potentially involved in origin will be spoken about in the context of state of origin in round 15 and the lead up to round 15. It's, you know, it's just, that's the world we're going to live in. The only thing that's going to knock origin off the back page or front page is if a player gets taken by a croc in Darwin because that's where the Eels are playing the Raiders. We've both been there up we uh, have Darwin been. a number of times uh, in recent seasons. Uh, not making the trip this time around. No, no I'll and leave that to someone else. It's a big game. Uh, the Eels, seven wins, seven losses, sitting inside the top eight at the moment. The Raiders are also there. Uh, I would think the Raiders, given their form line, uh, just too good for the, for the Eels. Yeah, but it's such an important game for Parramatta. Off that huge victory... The team that's been up and down like a yo-yo, they've got to string some together. You know, they're the home team here. They've been there in the past, as have the Raiders. But, but I just think that Canberra, they're, they're, they're having a superior season to Para, and on form you go with Canberra. Warriors and Panthers, I'm doing this one. Uh, first game on uh, Sunday, 2 o'clock East Coast time here in the land of Oz and... Uh, I think the Warriors at home. Uh, the Panthers obviously won't have Nathan Cleary. So Jerome Luai, you would think, slots straight back into the halves alongside James Maloney. Maybe Jimmy just brings back the magic and, and keeps trucking on. And as we were talking about off the top of the show, maybe launches a second half of the season surge for the Panthers. Tight game. I just think the Warriors maybe at home might get them. No, I'm going with Penrith. Okay. Oh, too desperate. Ivan knows all about the Warriors, and the Warriors have been disappointments this season, yeah. week in, week out. Last start winners against the, against yeah. the Titans, admittedly, but on the Gold Coast. Yeah, and it was, on the it was close. Yeah, it was close. Uh, Dogs and Sharks, uh, last game of the weekend, this one at ANZ Stadium. Uh, I would think the Sharks, you know, potentially, potentially comfortably. Cronulla coming good, and I know the game I did was uh, Fiji against Lebanon, had six Bulldogs involved. That's before you get to the other representative duties. So they'll have a fair few players backing up. And uh, Cronulla, watch them to make a move in the back end of the season. After Origin is done. After Origin (laughs) is done, which is two and a half weeks away. Origin 3 on July 10. It's a blue and maroon world we are living in until at least July 11. That is the show. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next week on You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all.